welcome to Abundant Life Church. How you doing? I want to welcome you. I want to welcome you if you're at one of our campuses in Vancouver or Sandy, or if you're watching online or in our community room. Welcome this morning. Uh, I am Robbie. I'm the Family Ministries Pastor, and I get the privilege to continue on in our series called I Give Up Today. And uh, this is uh, the topic today. We're talking about submission inside of relationships. Pastor Mike last week talked about the marriage relationship, and I get to talk about the family and what that looks like, and I'm excited about that. You know what I love? No, what? I am going to tell you. No matter how perfect our families look on paper, what I love is that none of us are so perfect in real life. Isn't that great? It's, it's good to know that. You know, we, we get ourselves cleaned up and dressed up and we make the kids, you know, toe the line. <laughs> You know, when we come to church and, and, and then when we go home, it's all, it's chaos. It's crazy. How many of you heard of awkward family photos? You know, it's running around the internet. If you haven't, you can take a look at this one right here. I love the look on the dad's face. If, uh, if I was this dad, I would probably be upset too that my wife made me wear curtains for uh, the family photo shoot. The next one. Oh my goodness. This is, this, is, this is right out of you know, my generation. How many of you know these girls did not grow up, get married, have kids, and make this the, the background of their laptop computer or their smartphone? This is crazy. These are great. Next one. Oh, yes. Oh, this is good. This is good. Jimmy's choking out mom, and little Sally's watching on like, you know, I can't stand you, and I don't know what's up with dad. Is he a priest or a mailman? It's like career confusion going on here. Uh, the last one. <laughs> this is wrong on every level. I, whoo, I do not know who in this pyramid of denim showed up at the photo shoot and said, okay, guys, I got it. And, and where's the voice of reason? You know, where's the one... What you don't know is there's a sixth person, and she's off to the side with her arms crossed going, no way, I ain't doing this. We're all uh, a little goofy, a little crazy. We come into life, you know, trying to make things look good, but we all have awkwardness in our family. Can I get an amen? Why is this craze taken off? You know, last year for my birthday, someone gave me an awkward family photo birthday card, and uh, I think they were trying to send me a message because I have a, a, a big family, and sometimes it is a little awkward. But, but you know, I have a theory. I think we, we like this kind of thing because it sends us a message. You're not alone. Like, don't you just, you look at this picture, and something inside just goes, yes. Someone else is, like, crazy like us or a little more messed up than us. My family's not the only one awkward. So today we're going to talk about that awkwardness inside of the family. We're going to look at the relationship between parents and kids. And to start it off, we're going to look at a passage that we're working our way through this portion of Scripture in Ephesians. The Apostle Paul wrote this. Pastor Mike started it out last week. And, and so grab your Bibles or in your, in your programs, there's a life note uh, for you at the top is, is uh, this passage of Scripture. Also grab a pen and, and I encourage you to fill out your life notes and take notes because it'll help you remember. And 95% of... Uh, the studies show that 95% of people that do take notes um, go to heaven. So um, <laughs> it's true. Look it up. Google it. But no, I'm just kidding. We're going to read. Look at the top of your life notes, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, 
which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. How many of you know there are problems with parents and kids? All those little giggles, that was, that was parents. Parents know that. I know it's true because I have kids. I'm a father of some children. I've also spent most of my life working with young people, and I, I get to hear the complaints as they come you know, from your house, and they struggle with some of these things. As a kid, I remember so often doing silly things, and my dad struggling to understand why in the world I do the things that I do. And as a parent... Um, I watch my kids do crazy stuff, and I'm like, why in the world? Like, why would you take, you know, a pin and dig out, uh, dig a hole in the sheetrock? You know, I mean, it's just crazy stuff like that that we don't get. And, 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 and I just want to suggest that we have got to begin to understand each other. And, and to understand each other, it's going to take work. The young people in the room, I, I know that you don't understand why your parents say no to you so often. I know that sometimes you don't understand why they care about who you're hanging out with or where you're going or what time you get home or what movie you're watching. And I know this creates some frustration. And I want to kind of unpack that today. But I also know that there are some of you here that maybe don't fall into one of these two categories. Maybe you're not a parent with kids in your home or maybe you've you know, moved out, but you don't, have, you, know, you don't have parents to submit to. I want to just say that there is a lot in this passage that, just, that doesn't just apply to parents and kids. There's a theme in here. This theme is uh, submitting to authority. This word submission is an incredible word. We've got to learn how to submit. We've all got to learn how to get along and learn how to, you know, communicate inside of relationships. So if you hang in there with me, I believe that you're going to get something out of it as well. But this inability to understand is a problem for us all. So I'm going to talk to the young people in the room first, and then I'll talk to you parents. And I believe that uh, um, if you both uh, listen, you'll, there'll be a couple keys for you to get out of what I have to say this morning. So first, young people, number one, obey your parents. Parents, can I get an amen? amen. I know you, wanna, you just want to say that. Verse one, the apostle Paul says, obey your parents, for this is right. Notice it doesn't say, for they are right. It's really important to understand that we don't always just obey because the person that we're obeying is right. There's something about, you know, obeying because it is right. There's, there's something that God wants us to get out of just the, 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 you know, the act of obeying. Also, parents, I want you to see something here. Paul is not talking to you right here. He is talking to the kids. He doesn't say, hey, parents, make your kids obey. Cram it down their throat force them to obey. He, he's speaking to the children, and, and he says, obey, for this is right. And I, I, hopefully I'm going to be able to explain some of that to you. And, and when you dig down deep in this passage, what you'll see is that it's not talking just to young children, to minor children. You know, um, I, I get it all the time, you know, people trying to figure out like, okay, so how old, you know, do you have to be to, to obey your parents? You know, and, and as you look at this passage, what you'll see in the, in the Greek... There are many words that are, that are translated in the English, child or children. You know, some of those Greek words actually mean infant. Some mean uh, male or female infant. Some actually refer to a state of mind like childish or unlearned. But the Greek word that Paul uses here is technon and actually refers to descendants or dependents. And it actually gives this idea of ones who are being helped or cared for. So, you know, 
you get into college. I have, I have one of those in my home. You, know, you hit 18 and you're struggling with this idea of how, you know, how to obey and what do I have to obey if I'm living in my, my parents' home. And I want to I talk to you for one second. Just because you're legally an adult doesn't mean you don't have to obey. There's something very different about you moving out and taking care of yourself and providing for yourself. But there's a unique relationship. It doesn't matter how old you are. When you're submitting yourself under the care of someone else, when they're t- taking care of you and providing for you, that you have to submit yourself under their authority. Whether you're 3 or 23, 9 or 19, this word is for you. If you eat their food, you use their bathroom, then this is the word of God for you. Obey. Obey. They're taking care of you. You're a dependent. You're dependent on them. Obey. One of the hardest things about obeying is to do the what without the why. I struggle with it. My kids struggle with it. So often, you know, when, when, uh, when, I, when somebody wants me to do something, I, I want to know why. And I hear it all the time. My kids are like, you know, I tell them to do something. They're like, why? Why? <laughs> to which every parent on the face of the earth at one time or another responded with, because I, yes, because I told you so. I know, I can see some of, you know, young people shaking your head. This frustrates you. It frustrated me because you want to know why. But you know where this, because I told you so, came from? I believe it came from. I believe it came from God. I believe it came right out of Scripture. If you look at these, these stories throughout the passages of Scripture, you will see that God so often has his kids in scripture do crazy things and trust him. He doesn't always tell them the why. And sometimes when they ask him for a reason, he says, you know what, just trust me. Just do what I say. You, you can see this in the very beginning with Adam and Eve. God, you know, plants them in a garden. He, he gives them some, some trees to eat from. He tells them not to eat from this one. And things are fine until they begin to, you know, struggle with the trust issue because it is a trust issue. You look at Abraham, and Abraham lived in this place that was called Ur of the Chaldees, where he had property, he had money, he had friends, he had a wife, and and God spoke to Abraham, and he said, Abraham, if you go where I send you, if you trust me, I'll make your name great. Your descendants will be as as numerous as the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. Abraham left Ur, left his, his comfort, and he walked in faith, not knowing where that was going to lead. Moses... Another example, tending his flock on the side of a hill, God reveals himself to him and says, Moses, I want you to lead my people out of slavery. And Moses responds, why? Why me? But he, but he submits to that. He trusts God. He goes and he leads Israel out of Egypt. They get to the, to the Red Sea. And then what do you hear? A bunch, you know, all the Israelites are crying out, why have we done this? Why have you done this? To, you know, make us die out here, you know, because the, you know, Egyptian army was following them. And, and then God provides the way, leads them across the Red Sea on dry ground. And, you know, and then they spend this time out in the, in the desert. And, you know, God's providing for them. He's leading them, pillar of fire at night, a pillar of cloud by day. He's giving them food to eat. And they continue to struggle with this issue of why are we doing this? Where are we going? They constantly complain. Trust. You, the best example, though, you see in Jesus Jesus, Pastor Mike talked in Philippians, he talked about this issue of Jesus being God, did not consider that something to be held on to, and, 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 and Jesus came to earth, and he humbled himself and became a man. That's what, what Jesus did, and you see that man, 
that, that, that man in the end of Jesus' uh, ministries, you know, spending some time in the garden right before he's taken captive and he's led to the cross and, and he's praying as a man and he's struggling with what's coming up and, and not knowing and there's this issue of trust and he, he prays and he's filled with so much angst that he actually sweats blood and he prays this incredible prayer that's so revealing. Even Jesus, God, prays to the Father, Father, if at all possible, let this cup pass. But not my will, but yours be done. In other words, he's saying, Father, I, I don't understand. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I'm scared, but I trust you. Aren't you glad that Jesus trusted the Father? We have to begin to trust God because he knows. He knows the future. He is trustworthy. We can trust him because at the core of what God does is love. So often, even if God were to try to explain it to us, we wouldn't get it. And so we've got to trust him. Young people, the same is true with our parents. You need to trust your parents. Most of the time, your parents, they just know a little bit more about how the world works. They understand relationships and human nature a little better. Sometimes, if not most of the time, they've learned through their mistakes, and they want to save you from some of the heartache and heartbreak that they've experienced. Parents, i got to tell you, right in the middle of this, though, you have got to you got to take this seriously, this issue of exercising power and control, because if you are going to ask your kids to trust you, then you've got to be trustworthy. You've got to be motivated by love and the way that you exercise this power and control. And I've seen some horrific abuses in this. Your kids trust you. Be trustworthy. Now, let me qualify this for you young people, because I hear it all the time. It's like, okay, so if my parents, you know, tell me to kill somebody, am I supposed to do that? And so, Okay, I'm not saying that if your parents tell you to go against God, go against the word of God, scripture, that you're supposed to do it. But I would say this, that you've got to cut them some slack knowing that they're not perfect because I'm in no way saying that, you're, that your parents, that we as parents are infallible or perfect. We're not. We're not, and we're trying to figure this out. So we, we need to bathe this in love. Kids, obey your parents. Number two, verse two, honor your parents. How many of you know that there's a difference between simple obedience and honor? You can go through the motions of obedience and not really honor. You can, have a, you can literally do what your parents say but have a horrible attitude. There was a little boy. He was standing on a kitchen table jumping up and down, and his dad told him to get down. The boy was jumping. The, the dad raised his voice, told him to get off the table and sit on the chair. So the boy finally stopped, climbed off the table, sat on the chair, crossed his arms, and boldly declared, I may be sitting down on the outside, but inside I'm standing up. <laughs> Our attitude matters, guys. Our attitude matters, not just literally obeying but actually having the heart that follows. It's, it's so important. It's why scripture goes a step further. It doesn't just call us to obey, but it also calls us to honor. Honor shows respect and trust. Honor reveals the heart. Let me illustrate it. There's this, this idea, this word in the Greek, actually, honor, actually means heavy weight. It implies value assigned to someone or something in terms of respect by holding them in high regard. To honor someone is to measure his or her value on a scale and conclude that it's heavy. You've heard it said, his opinion carries weight. What it's like is your parents' opinion put on a scale compared to the opinion of the world or the ideas from your friends, and you got to weigh that out and let your parents' opinions and what they say have weight. Let it unequal the balance of the scale. Give them more credit 
Trust them. Matthew 15, 8. Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus is dealing with an issue of the heart. He says, you can, you can say the right things, but your heart can be completely out of it. He even illustrates it like he says, you know, you're, you're whitewashed tombs. You, you look good on the outside. You look clean. You look all fixed up on the outside, but inside you're filled with dead man's bones. And this idea of honoring authority is a major theme throughout Scripture. I know, you know, uh, I've been talking about kids obeying, and a lot of you parents are like, oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, preach it. Preach it. But I bet some of you have bosses or supervisors. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't expect to get a big amen right there. You, you've got to learn to submit to the authorities in your life. I do as well. I've spent a lot of my life being a supervisor or a boss. I've also spent a lot of time submitting to authority in my life and submitting to my boss. What I do know about leading people and, 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 and supervising people is that everybody has ideas, and some of those are great ideas. But, but as, a, as, a, as a boss, I spend a lot of time having conversation that, that other people aren't privy to. You know, and, I, and I'm thinking about maybe the bigger picture, and sometimes I stay awake at night trying to figure out better ways to do things, and I, I come back, and then I'll ask somebody to do something, and they don't understand it. Maybe they question my leadership style or, or my method. When we submit to authority... We're helping them do their job. We're actually honoring God and we're supporting them whether we understand it or not. It works in the home. It works in the church, especially for me. Uh, you know, I, I have a supervisor. He's George Powell. And I, and I want to submit to him. I want to make his job easy. So I don't question everything. that I know he's having conversations that I'm not privy to. I want to support him. I want to encourage him. And if he invites me into those conversations, I want to I speak Submitting to authority is a, is a biblical idea. The idea of honoring authority is a God idea. You can disagree with authority and still have a good attitude. You really can. You cannot agree with everything and still have a great attitude because honor is a heart issue. Submit to the authorities in your life. Now, with my kids, this becomes more and more important as they get older when, when, when my kids are little, I don't really care if they get the honor piece figured out because they reach out for the electrical outlet or the light socket or the hot oven. And all I care about is that they are saved from bodily harm. So I'll literally jump in front of them and I'm not gonna necessarily process that through whether they you know, you know, had a good attitude about it because I wanna protect them because they're little. But as they get older... This becomes more and more important. They've got to begin to process these things through for themselves. Now, as a youth pastor, I was very frustrated by statistics that I read all the time about how many of these young people that grow up in the church, when they leave the home, how many of them leave the church? It was like over 80%. I was frustrated as a youth pastor. I was desperate as a father because I started having kids, and I didn't want that to happen in my home. And so that, that desperate father spent time on his knees trying to figure out how in the world can I, can I hand my kids off to Jesus without them walking away from him or thinking that he's just a, he's just a rule guy that's all about rules. And so I, uh, you know, we always, you know, use our, our first children as guinea pigs, right? You know, <laughs> try things out on them. But in desperation, you know, I, I sat down with, with my daughter because I started thinking like, 
She's got a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is her personal Lord and Savior. And he's really good at leading. He's good at convicting. He's good at walking them, walking us through life. And I realized, like, at some point, they've got to begin to, like, learn how to do that. And if I control their life, they'll never get that. And, and so what it looked like for us is I, I, I created a space that they could fail, a space that I wasn't going to control their life. Now, outside of that, I, you know, if it was going to be life-altering or fatal, you know, I, I would jump in and come in like a, like a flood, because I'm going to control that because, you know, I, they're still in this process. But inside of that, I wanted to give them that space. And so I sat down with my, my daughter, and I've sat down with all my kids as they've gotten to that age and had a conversation with them. And with, with Jordan, I, I sat down and I said, our relationship's going to change because I don't want you to be a statistic. And so um, you're going to have freedom to fail. But what that means is that you're even, I'm going to even let you uh, fail inside of relationships when it might cost you. I'm going to even allow you to make selfish choices when I want to jump in and say, don't do that. That's selfish. Because I, I need them to feel the weight of their choices. And when they make the wrong choice, they can go to their Lord and Savior and they can work through it, even experience forgiveness and reconciliation. They've got to be able to experience this. I, I, I believe this, this wholeheartedly so that when they get 18 or 19 or when they move out, that they've, they've been processing this through on their own with their Lord and Savior. Give them some space to fail. And kids, understand that your parents are a gift from God to you. Your parents care about you. This is a gift of protection. They care about your needs. It's a gift of provision. They care about you in ways that you will not understand until you start having your own kids. I'm telling you, it's, it's crazy how this happens. What I do know is that not everybody has parents that are involved. I was one. My mom left when I was five, and so I had a dad that cared for me, but he had to work, and he did his best. He did double duty. And, uh, and I would get so frustrated because I'd go over to my friend's house and, you know, they had moms that cared about them and they were, you know, they cared about whether they got their homework done or whether they ate dinner or, or where they were going or what they were doing or what time they were going to get home. And these friends would complain. They're like, oh, man, my mom's so controlling and she just won't let me do what I want to do and blah, blah, blah. And, and I get so upset because I'm like, you don't get it. I don't have that. I would take somebody telling me what to do every minute of every day. If I had a mom that cared about me, I praise God for my dad. I, that's why I call him on Mother's Day and Father's Day, <laughs> you know, because he, he, des he deserves that. I also know that some of you are, are adopted, and I, I want to tell you that your parents are, 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 are a gift from God as well. You know, my kids, you know, we had kids. I didn't choose them. You know, they just kind of came, and I just loved on them. But you, you adopted kids. Your parents, no one, no one forced them to take you. Your parents chose you. And it reminds me of a passage of scripture pertaining to me, that I was adopted, that I'm chosen by God and dearly loved. So are you. Man, if you're an adopted kid, your parents are a double blessing and a double gift. I also know that there are people here that have had parents that have been horrific and been abusive. And I, and I get that. And I am sorry and I, I wish there was something that I could say, except that God cares, and he'll never do that. He will never fail you. Psalm 68, verse 5 says, he is a father to the fatherless. Okay, I want to transition really quick to you parents. Parents number three, 
Verse 4 says, don't exasperate your children. Notice it doesn't say uh, not to embarrass them. I think it's our biblical mandate to embarrass <laughs> our kids. I'm really good at it, and I uh, actually am kind of prideful about it. But, uh, so it's okay. But um, it's gonna, you're going to do it naturally. It's all right. Uh, what it does mean, what it, this word exasperate means is, is it's actually making fun or bullying, pushing them down, sarcasm, being passive-aggressive, these things where you lower yourself to their level. Don't purposefully anger or provoke. One Greek translation actually says that exasperating means to push their buttons. You will anger your kids, I promise you that. Don't do it on purpose. Don't do something to get a rise out of them, okay? That's what exasperating means. Be an adult as a parent. It takes work. My kids act childish, and I want to get down on their level and, and be childish as well. And I've got to stop that. I've got to pull myself out on purpose and, you know, and, and, and not do that. So don't stoop, your, don't stoop to their level. Number four, parents, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. How do we do this? Disciple your kids. Here at ALC, we have an incredible staff and incredible volunteers that love on our children and our youth well. We have it at all the campuses. We want to support you in this job of parenting and raising your kids, but it's not our job to raise your kids. It's your job. Teach your kids about Jesus and let us support that. Let us get them excited about the Jesus they're learning about in your home. We deal with a lot of kids that, that, that come to us not knowing Jesus, and, 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 and you know, that's, that's a little bit different, because I'm, I'm, speaking, I'm speaking to the church. I'm speaking to you guys who have a relationship with Jesus, and I'm also not speaking as one who has it all figured out, has it all together, or is perfect. And I'm not. I'm not. But there's no time like the present today to start over and say, I'm going to do this. It's, it takes work. We've got to be purposeful in this. But it's our responsibility as parents. Don't ever say, do as I say, not as I do. Also, in bringing up our kids, we've, we've got to not break them. Listen, we are called to shape them, not break them. I used to get in trouble all the time as a kid for talking too much. Elementary school, middle school, high school, frustrate my dad. You know, I'd get called out, you know, parent-teacher conferences, and he'd come home like, why don't you just shut up? <laughs> Side note. What I've realized is the, thing that, the things that frustrate you about your kids may be the very gifting that God has planted in them to accomplish what he wants to do in them and through him for his glory, but it needs to be shaped. I'm not saying that every time I talked was, you know, was okay, but I am saying rather than break them, you shape that. That strong-willed child, that strong-willed child might be the leader of the next generation doing incredible things for God. When I was a youth pastor, parents would come to me all, all the time frustrated about these strong-willed kids. And, and, I, and I would say, you know, the wild stallions, make, they, make, they make the best horses. They need to be bridled. They need, they need to be set in a trajectory. They need to be steered. They need to be taught how to be in control. But they're fantastic. I'm not suggesting that everything that your kid does is a gift from God. I'm not. I've seen some creative things that have come out of your kids. It's not all gifting, Okay. You figure that out. But our discipline needs to be done in a way that molds and shapes them. Understand the, the root of discipline is disciple. It's weird. We think about discipline in, in terms of punish, you know, just trying to make them do what we want. But it's not. It's, it takes time. It takes effort. 
We need to know the difference between control and correction. Control's for our benefit, con- uh, correction's for theirs. We want to control them for a lot of reasons. We get embarrassed, you know, we, it's inconvenient, we even fearful. But correction takes time. And it may be inconvenient and takes work, but it's worth it. Now, in closing, the best example that I have of this was a, was a mentor of mine. His name was Ray. He was a commander in the army. And he had incredible girls. And these girls were disciplined in, in, in a beautiful way, the way they interacted when they got in trouble. And, and I, you know, as a young man, I, I wanted to know how he did it. And I, so I, I went to him. I was really teachable. And I'm like, Ray, you got te- to teach me how to do this. I want to know how to discipline my kids when I have kids. And he sat me down and he shared some things with me I want to I share with you. Number one. Define the boundaries before they're enforced. One of the things he said was, you can't punish your kids if you haven't told them what, what, they, what they do is wrong. You've got to define the boundary. Even if something gets ruined, you've got to define that boundary. Boundaries are really important to us. And so as a, as a side note, I wanted to kind of show you uh, some of our boundaries that we have set in our family just really quick. We used to have a, a, what was called an if-then chart. You know, it was like, if you do X, then this will happen to you, if then. And, uh, and this was really good because they knew that, that automatic discipline was happening if they, you know, if they did whatever was on that chart. And I know it seems a little bit goofy, but it was very helpful for them in trying to understand boundaries. It was also helpful for me because often I get lazy and tired, but the fact that we had this chart, it, it kind of forced me to get involved in these things. Here's some of uh, our boundaries that we have set. A, direct disobedience. Really quick, I mean, you you tell them to do something or not do something, and and they don't do it or do it. They directly defy you. It it, it means discipline, automatic. Number uh, letter B, lying, lying flat out is not tolerated. It's now my kids know that there's there's probably nothing they can do uh, worse to me than lie. Lie Lying deals with character, and lying inside of relationship breaks trust. C, backtalk. Backtalk is important to me because I just saw so many kids just talking back to their parents, and their parents, rather than deal with it, they would talk back, and it just created this tension. And so we wanted to create this boundary where it's like, you know, if you talk back, you're going to get in trouble, automatic. So we don't, have let, any, we don't let them back talk. We're not perfect at it, but, we, but that's a boundary. And D, unkindness. And this may seem a little, a little strange as a, as a boundary, but I grew up in a, in a family where my siblings weren't very kind to me. And as I, as I came to know Jesus, I realized that one of the characteristics of love is kindness. And I wanted my kids to be kind to each other. I wanted them to be friends. I want them to like each other as they grow. And this has worked for us. When they talk to each other in an unkind way, they get in trouble. When they're just unkind in general, we talk it through with them. Being kind is important in our home. And remember, consistency is very important. Number two, never discipline in anger. Ray, you know, he, he told me, he said, you know, sometimes I get, I get mad my daughters do something. He said, always send them off until you can get in control of yourself. Send them to the room, send them to the bathroom, and then you go and you discipline them when you can talk it through with them. Number three, Distinguish between willful defiance and childish irresponsibility. You, you've, you've got to, we, we want to we wanna give our kids a safe place to be kids. And they're going to be kids. They're going to be irresponsible. We've got to give them a space to do that. You know, uh, we kind of talk about it like we don't, we don't punish them over spilt milk. Now, if they're messing around and in the process of messing around, we've told them to stop and they spill the milk, that's different. But we want our kids, even at the, at the expense of something getting ruined, we want them to be able to be kids. Number four, teach and affirm after the confrontation is over. Okay? 
don't ever just punish them or discipline them. You talk it through with them. Make sure they know you love them. Give them a hug. Ray would even cry when his girls were crying. He'd even cry with them. He had such a tender heart. And I love that example. Number five, avoid impossible demands. Dr. Dobson said, make sure that your children are capable of delivering on what you require. Like I said, Ray was a commander, and he'd have a pretty high bar for his soldiers. He'd come home, and he'd have to be very intentional. He told me, don't ever set that bar too high. Make sure they can hit it. Most importantly, number six, over all these things put on love. 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And I believe this is more true in the home than anywhere else. We need that grace. You lead in love and things will be okay. You've got to love. And Dr. Dobson, he says one of the ways that you spell love is T-I-M-E. So would you watch this? If you could have dinner with anyone, living or dead... Who would you choose? Kylie Minogue. Oh. <laughs> Marilyn Monroe. Oh, God, I wouldn't have a clue. I know, straight up. Paul Hogan. Kim Kardashian. No, no, no. I'd like to have dinner with Justin Bieber. What? <laughs> He's not coming to my house. So, um... <laughs> I'd have Bob Hawke. Dave Hughes. Barry Humphreys. Jimi Hendrix. People who have made a difference in the world, maybe Nelson Mandela at the dinner table. I don't know what he's going to say, I'm scared. If you could have dinner with anyone in the world, oh. who would you choose? Probably our whole family, like a whole extended family. Mum and Dad. <sighs> Mum and Dad. Does it have to be a celebrity? Could it be family? We love it. We talk about how school is. We ask mum and dad how their day was. Family. Yeah, mum and dad. Family. Who would you guys like to have yeah. dinner with? They just want to be with us mm. while they're eating food, which is pretty cool. They see us above everything. I'm going to get... Yeah. Yeah. Bit, bit of a message in it for me. Yes. <laughs> What are we having for dinner? Whew. That's tough. A Cornell study showed the average father in America spends seven minutes a day with his kids, 49 minutes a week, less than an hour. And I know that's not true in every case, but that's convicting to me. And I wanted to show you that video because love is spelled T-I-M-E. We, all this that I talked about, it, it doesn't work. If we don't set aside time to invest and disciple our kids, raise them, teach them, bring them up in this way. Now, I will stand before you as somebody that struggles in this area. But there, like I said, there's no time like today to, to stop and to say, I want to I get better. I want to do better and let God lead you and guide you in this. I have some growth challenges for the kids, young people. Begin to start thanking God for your parents' involvement in your life and the gift that they are to you. These growth challenges are in your connection cards that Pastor Dave talked about at the beginning. Parents, 
Look for areas you've been too controlling and have a conversation with your kids about it. It's just that idea of creating some space. Let them work some of this out with their Lord and Savior, Jesus. And for all of us, take a look at our attitude toward the authorities in our lives, parents, supervisors, bosses, and God, and pray about ways that we can submit with honor, that we can make their job easier. None of this can happen without God and his help. We need Jesus to help us and lead us and guide us in this. Parenting is way too tough to do it on your own. We need each other and we need him. And I know that some of you here today, uh, you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Like you've been doing it on your own. You can, you can solicit God's help by inviting him in. He wants to come into your life. He wants to save you. He wants to be involved in your life. And, and you can do that this morning. And I'd love to pray a prayer with you. And I'd love for every one else that has prayed this prayer to pray along with me, just in a, in a, in a prayer of support. But if you want to do this for the first time, would, would you pray with me and just repeat after me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. And Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. I thank you for being in my life. I thank you for being my Lord and Savior. I thank you for your strength when I'm weak. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. I need you. And I trust you. And I give my life to you. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.